Well, someone has said, and I believe it's so true, that life is short, but eternity is very long. A simple statement, but it is very true. Life is short, but eternity is long. And if you believe that statement to be true as I do, then I wanna ask you this question. I want you to ponder this right at the beginning of our time together this morning. Are you making every moment of this life count for the next? Are you making every moment, every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, are you making the most of it so that it will count for the next life which we're all eternal beings, we will spend eternity someplace. Are you making the most of it for eternity? In two weeks, we're gonna begin a, a series that we've entitled My Story. And the big idea is that each of us are writing a story as we live each day of our lives. And the only question is if our story is going to be filled with regrets or a life that is lived well, focusing on the things that at the end really, really matter. I had a youth pastor buddy say in a sermon that I heard many years ago, and I'm not even sure it was unique with him, but I'll give him credit because I know it's not unique with me since I heard him say it. He said this, he said, our greatest fear should be that we're successful at the things that matter the least and fail at those things which matter the most. Let me say that one more time because I really want you to grasp a hold of that because if you get nothing else, I want you to walk out of here being convinced of that truth. Our greatest fear should be that we are successful at the things that matter the least and we fail at those things which matter the most. I want to live life. I want to come to the end of my life, to the end of my journey, no matter when that is. I hope I'm living in such a way today that if tonight is the last night for me, I want to live life, I want to go out into eternity with no regrets. And I trust you do as well. And so if you want to live life that way and you want to live life focused on those things that ultimately matter the most, then the question is, what matters the most? What is the most important thing? And I want you to take your Bibles just for a few moments this morning, and I want you to turn to the book of John, the book of John in chapter uh, 13. It's a familiar passage to many of you. Some of you are, are new followers of Jesus or you haven't known Jesus uh, very long or you're exploring uh, the claims of Christ on your life. You might not be as familiar with this passage, but this is a very, very key passage uh, in the book of John. And I want to set the stage for what's going on as we jump into chapter 13 because we're not going to have time to go through the entire chapter. But in John chapters 13 to 17... Uh, those chapters contain the final discourse of Jesus with his disciples just before his crucifixion. Jesus shares a meal with his disciples, and after dinner, he begins to wash their feet. Now, you can picture uh, this uh, with me. Um, I love all of you a lot, but I don't love you enough to wash your feet, all right? I'm just telling you. I might on a good day uh, approach some of your feet, but a lot of you just, you got stinky feet, all right? I, I, there's no way I would do that. And by the way, I wouldn't expect you to do that with me either. 
So, so just, just, just picture the stage, if you will, for just a moment. Jesus gets up from the supper table. He takes his robe off and he gets a towel and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. We can only imagine that there is an atmosphere of almost stunned silence. Here was the very son of God doing the work of a slave. You know, if you understand Bible culture and and even ancient culture, that they didn't walk around in shoes such as many of us have on this morning. They were open-toed sandals. They didn't walk along sidewalks or paved roads. They walked along dusty roads. And so even as you'd have somebody come over to your house, they may have cleaned themselves up, but as clean as they might be from the top of their head, when it got down to their feet, their feet were dirty, were filthy. And so that task was reserved for uh, the menial slave, all right? The other guy, he's out there serving hors d'oeuvres, but if you're the lowest of the low slaves, you're the dude that gets, has to get down there with the towel and you gotta wash the feet of the guest. And now here was the very son of God. That's what he does. Do you get the setting? Do you, do you get the picture? And of course, uh, the always outspoken disciple named Peter boldly tells Jesus, I will never let you wash my feet. He realized this is the, this is the task of a, of a mere slave and there's no way that I would let Jesus, the, the very son of God, there's no way that I'd let him stoop down to wash my feet. And so Jesus explains that unless he washes Peter's feet, that Peter cannot have any part with him. And then Peter does an about face and he says, okay then, wash my whole body. You get the whole thing. Wash me from the top of my head, get my hands, do it all the way down to my feet. I totally want to be a part of this Jesus thing. (laughs) Typical Peter, right? Like so many of us. And so much more could be said about this passage of scripture, but I want to skip down for our purposes this morning to verses 34 and 35, where Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment. Look at what Jesus says in verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. In other words, I've, I've demonstrated my love for you. You guys have seen this. If you've, as you've walked with me for these past several years, you know that my love for you has been unconditional. Because when I look at the group of you, and this has got to be what he was thinking in his head, when I look at the group of you, only, only the Son of God could really love you. And I have loved you in that way. I've loved you perfectly. I've loved you completely. I've demonstrated that love for you. And now what I want you to do is I want you, just as I've loved you, I want you to love one another. And by inference there, it's not just one another in their little circle, but it is, I want you to love others, meaning other people. And then verse 35 says this. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so Jesus is about to depart from the world. The only example of true love that the world has ever known was about to be taken from it. He's about to prove his love for all of mankind by dying on a cross as a sacrifice for the sins of people. 
But how were people now uh, supposed to see true love demonstrated since he was going to be taken from them? And the answer is that they were to see in those who are Christ's disciples, they were to see that perfect love, that love that we talk about so often around here. They were to see agape love demonstrated through Christ's disciples. And it's very clear that we're supposed to do that, but how do we do it? Now, obviously, we can love people in our daily lives as we live in our circles of influence in our community. When you go to work tomorrow, you can love people. You can love them unconditionally. You can love them with pure agape love, which agape, remember, agape love is love that loves 100% expecting nothing in return. Whether you love me, whether you ever respond to that love, I love you completely expecting nothing in return. You can do that tomorrow in the workplace. You can do that in your neighborhood with that neighbor who's just a little, you know, everybody's got one in that neighborhood, you know, in your neighborhood, maybe several. You know who I'm talking about. Immediately somebody came to your mind. You can love them that way. Middle school, high school kids, you can go to school tomorrow and that guy, that girl, it's already annoying to you, right? You know who I'm talking about. They popped into your head immediately. You can love them in that way. We can do that. But God's corporate plan for Christ followers to demonstrate the gospel in a visible, tangible way by loving people happens through the church. That's been God's plan right from the beginning. The church exists to introduce people to Jesus as their savior and then help them to grow and understand who he is and that he has a plan for their lives. And that plan involves them loving one another and going out and telling other people and demonstrating his love for mankind. At Northwest Community Church, we say it this way, that we exist to reach people with the life-changing message of the gospel and then equip people to become full of, fully developing followers of Jesus who impact their world for him. And I would say to you this morning that the greatest way in which we impact our world for Jesus Christ is by the way, as Jesus said in John 13, by the way that we love one another. And so the church matters to God because God shows it to tell and to show the world the message of his love. And it is the world's only hope. You do recognize that, right? God doesn't have plan B, C, D, so forth and so on. God's got one plan and that's the church and it's not the church made up of a building. It is people. That's God's plan. That's how we're supposed to influence this world with the life-changing message of the gospel is the way that we love, first of all, one another and then we love others also. Now, some followers of Jesus, they really love the church. I want to tell you what a few people have said just in the last few weeks, just some, some stuff I've gotten a hold of that they've written or uh, in one case, something somebody said. One gentleman wrote this after Serve Your City. He said, I just want to let you guys know how thankful I am for the past week. I know that these things don't happen without a lot of prayers and planning. The anticipation of the events was great. The participation in the events was awesome. But the thing that was off the charts was the blessing that I received. He said, and... Um, Let's just say he's older than 20. He said, this has been one of the best weeks that I've had in several years. I talked to this young family as they were leaving the movie night the other night. And as they were leaving, 
the mom said to me that she had just asked her three-year-old son, what was your favorite part of movie night? Now, how many of you here were here for the food trucks and the movie night? All right, a lot of you were. I know how I would have answered that question. Did you see that little trailer out there, Two Roosters Ice Cream? Yeah, that's pretty awesome, right? And then the Belgian waffles, sign me up for that, right? If I'm three years old, I mean, I'm 49, that's what I'd say. But if I'm three, give me two roosters, give me Belgian waffles, right? You know what this little boy did? This was so awesome. As they were walking out of the stadium, he looked over at this building and he pointed to this building and he said, that's my favorite part over there. That's where I learn about Jesus. Now, let me ask those of you that are in the room this morning and you work in children's ministry, is that worth it? Is that worth it? That kid gets that. You must be doing something right back there. If Jesus and the stories about Jesus and the gospel weigh out for a three-year-old over two roosters and Belgian waffles, you are winners, right? You're doing something right. That's awesome. Another girl wrote this in a school paper that she wrote. My favorite place to go is church. Right? I'm sure that teacher went, what? What church do you go to? Right? She said this, I have amazing friends, some of which are so close that they're just like my family. She said, we have a great youth pastor and three amazing regular pastors. Now, I, <laughs> that term regular can mean a lot of things, right? The older I get, it means different things than it might have used to have meant, all right? I'm just, just saying, all right? She then says in parentheses, not regular like they're boring, but regular like the main service. She said, I especially like the older one with the short hair. I, you know, I don't know. What. <laughs> Actually, looking at the letter, she didn't say that. She should have said that. I'm sure that was in her heart. She just didn't get those words out. But you know what? To me, to me as a pastor, and I know the rest of our staff would say this as well, that's where it's at right there. That's people that, that love God's idea of the church, Right? And you know, for the first few hundred years after Jesus left his disciples with that command that they were to love people, the church did really well at just that. In fact, we read the description of that kind of church. We've talked about it in the past in the book of Acts, especially uh, chapter two. People were becoming followers of Jesus because they saw the love that those followers of Jesus had for one another and then that expanded out from there, the, the love that those followers of Jesus had for them. And as a result, that paved the way. It made it possible for them to see that the greatest love that they'll ever experience is the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. And, and I'm telling you, man, the, the whole idea of the gospel swept across those towns and cities. Those people were the visible demonstration of the love which is there are many of us for people. And sadly, I'd have to say that in our modern day churches, there are many of us who either don't understand the mission of our church, of the church, or simply don't care about the mission of the church, even though you supposedly understand it. In fact, I was with a gentleman just a few weeks ago and in the course of a couple of conversations, he said to me, at least two times, he said, I scored zero in the area of mercy when I took a spiritual gifts test. And he said, it was, it was accurate because he said, I really don't have much patience or tolerance for people. 
as he was trying to convince me what a committed follower of Jesus that he is. I, I say to you on a regular basis here at Northwest that if you come here and you never feel like your toes are stepped on and you always leave the auditorium just feeling good about yourself and where you are in your life and in your journey at the time, then you should find another church. This is one of those times where you might walk out and not feel exactly that way, okay? But let me tell you, if that's you this morning, man, woman, middle school student, high school student, if that demonstrates you this morning, you say, I took a spiritual gifts test, I didn't score really high on, on mercy. In fact, people really annoy me and I, I get really impatient with people. Let me just tell you this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, meaning your life has been changed, supposedly, your life has been transformed, you've been made new because you have trusted in Christ alone as your savior. If that's you this morning, you better love people. Can I just tell you that? Now, I know some of you say, well, that's not my gift, you know, to, to love people. Let me tell you, it's not your, it doesn't have to be your gift. It was your command. It was your command. Jesus said, hey, I'm, I, wanna, I just want to throw something out there to you. All right, guys? Just want to, just you know, a little while I'm going to be leaving. I know some of you don't want me to go. I'm just going to throw out a suggestion to you. And you just, I, just, just see how it goes, all right? Try it. And then see how, that's not what Jesus said at all. He said, in fact, not a new suggestion I give unto you. He said, a new command I give you, and that is that you love one another as you have been loved. Loving people is not an option. I don't care what your spiritual gift is. All right, if you scored zero on mercy, shame on you. Zero? I mean, come on. Zero? You don't have an option to love people. Many who claim to be followers of Jesus seem to look at the church as nothing more than a place to meet their needs, to find their needs met. Many of us have slipped into this idea that the church is no more than one of the restaurants which you attend, and you evaluate church and ministry and relationships and how you're treated based on your American consumer mentality. Can I tell you, that is not the way God intended the church to be. It isn't about you getting your needs met. You say, I just saw a flag flying out there that said, belonging. And I don't feel like I belong. Well, come here, hang out a little bit, get in a life group, let us get to know you, start doing life with us, all right? You'll feel like you belong, all right? But this church, no biblically-based church exists so that you as an American's consumer can just simply get your needs met. That isn't what it's about. You say, well, I know this church that's over there and they say it's all about me. It is there, it's all about you. It ain't here. It is about us giving to other people. It is about us loving other people as we have been loved. The church is not a destination. It's not some place that you just drive to to have your needs met. The church is the only vehicle by which God gave us that we are to express his love to a hurting, dying world that desperately needs to understand his message of this gospel that will change and transform their lives. Do you believe that this morning? That is what we are supposed to be about. Now stick with me, all right? I know some of you are going, I'm leaving. I mean, I'm, I'm torqued. 
I want to get out of here. You know, I've been going through a difficult time and, I, and we want to come alongside of you and we want to serve you, but we do not exist. This church does not exist. Just so you simply come, just meet my needs, just serve me. The thing I have found most to be true in 28 years of ministry is that when you serve other people, you will be served. Jesus said it himself. In fact, you want to be great, you learn to be the servant of all. You be the servant of all, I guarantee you, your needs will be met. Whether God does it through some other Christ follower, some other person, or just simply and completely through his spirit, your needs will be met. When you get outside of your bubble that it's all about you, because it isn't all about you, nor is it all about me. It is about people, Right? Right? Somebody say amen, right? It's about people. And we have four values that we fly on flags on our front so that you'll be reminded of them as you enter and leave the building each week. We value belonging. We value growing. We value reaching. And lastly, we value service. Now, on a lot of Sundays when we do this, and we've been doing this for a lot of years, this particular Sunday, when we kind of cast vision, we remind you of our purpose, and usually I kind of highlight each one of those values. And this morning, um, I want to focus our time this morning on just simply the value of serving, because that's important, right? I'm convinced that one of the most obvious expressions of our love for other people inside and outside of the church is really about how we serve people. And here's the really cool thing this morning. If you've been given, or if you're a Christ follower, you have been given a spiritual gift. You've been given some way in which you can serve and minister to people. I don't know what it is, but I know this. If you've named the name of Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you've been given a spiritual gift. At the point of salvation, when you were regenerated, when you were made new, God gave you something which he needs you to use in ministry and service to other people. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of things that bring joy to my heart as a pastor. There really are, to all of us. But one of the greatest things that brings joy to my heart as a pastor is when I see people serving in significant ways, those significant ways not always visible places of service, but when I see them serving in their area of giftedness, I don't think there's a thing that causes me greater joy than when I sit back and I see people serving in that way. In fact, you know, that's what's happened already this morning. It's happening right now, even as you sit right here, and it's going to happen when we close the service. It's going to happen this afternoon, it's going to happen this evening, and it's going to happen all during the week inside this church family as well as all over this community as followers of Jesus scatter over this community. Here's some of the things that are going to happen this week. We're going to serve refugees, we're going to serve meals to those that are hungry, we're going to tutor kids, we're going to help neighbors who are struggling. We're going to serve the sick. Some of you are going, who's doing all this? That's my point, right? We're going to minister to kids and students. We're going to encourage people and pray with people and counsel people and challenge people. It happens every week, all week long, here at Northwest and here in this community. And here's the really cool thing. You guys pay me to get to see it all. That's awesome. That's exciting. 
I wanna remind you this morning of five things about ministry. If you've been at Northwest, especially if you've been here since the beginning, you've heard me say these things before. You say, why are you telling us again? Really? All right. I'm gonna tell you five things about ministry that I want you to understand just real quickly. The first one is this. If you have a piece of paper and a pen, write these things down, all right? Even though they're simple, you need to be reminded of them. Number one is that ministry is not an option. It's not an option. The problem is that many of us have bought into the idea that it is an option. (laughs) We just kind of look at it as, well, if I get the opportunity, if the particular season of life that I'm in right now allows me to, then I will serve. But it's kind of like one of those optional things. You equate it like going to buy a new car and the sales guy says, well, what kind of options do you want? And you equate it like you came to Jesus and he said, um, hey, come, come on, you know, I wanna, I wanna be your savior. I wanna, I wanna come into you. I, wanna, I want my Holy Spirit to indwell you. And what options do you want? I mean, do you want the full deal or do you just want, and so you kind of go, ah, you know, yeah, I, I don't want the ministry option. It's not an option. But it is a choice that we make either to get involved using our spiritual gifts or not. Nothing could be further from the truth than if we have the idea that it is an option. If your goal is to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, it is not an option to sit on the sidelines when God has given us the ability and responsibility to get onto the field and make a difference. You know, Northwest, we are still a young church and God has done a lot of great things in and through this church, not only inside of our body, but in this community. But I have to tell you, as the guy that is responsible for maintaining and keeping and casting vision, I gotta tell you, we're nowhere in this area where we could and should be. Why? Because some of you have bought into the idea that ministry for you is an option. Maybe some of you middle school and high school students go, well, you know, hey, that's for, that's for the older people. They'll just kind of take care of that. And, you know, my mom and dad are doing this over there. No, 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 it's not an option. Some of you guys, just a little while from now, you know what you ought to do? You ought to think about getting out and helping tear down this place. I'm gonna talk about that in just a few moments. Most of you are a lot stronger than some of the people that are gonna be tearing down here in just a few moments. Don't buy into the idea that it's just an option for you. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, if you claim him as your savior, you gotta find your place, right? You gotta step out of the stands and get onto the field. Trust me, being on the field is a lot more exciting than being in the stands, right, Caleb? Yeah, man. Woo, 175 yards Friday night, right? I mean, I'm telling you, it's better. Even if you're the fat guy in his 40s and you're running on the sidelines as a ball boy, it's still better than being on the stands. I'd rather be catching the football. And I could do it too. (laughs) But it is not an option. Please don't buy into the idea that it's an option. Some of you got to get out of the stands, you got to get onto the field, and you're going to make Northwest better and our influence greater when you do just that. Number two. All right, I know I got to run fast. It's not a punishment. Some of you grew up in churches like I did. (laughs) You're the ones that just giggled, right? Because you grew up in churches where it was just that. It was a punishment, right? 
To be involved in ministry was not something, you know, you didn't have people up there going, look how great it is to be involved. And man, look at, you can, you can have an influence and look what you can do. And, and it's like Alec getting up here last week talking about, Alec, where are you? Are you you're here. Alec gets up here last, uh, couple, well, last week and talks about being in Spain. And, and I'll never forget what he said. You know what he said? He said, I learned that serving God can be fun, right? And I'm glad, man, I'm glad he's a high school kid at our church. Because when I was his age, I would have gone, it ain't that fun, bud. I'm telling you, it's a punishment. Because we'd have missionaries come in. Some of you have heard me talk about this. We have missionaries come in. They throw out 42 long foot snake skins that they collected after they skinned some snake in some you know, snake infested jungle that God called them to in Africa. And then the pastor would get up and say, who will be next? Where will the next generation come from? Going, I don't even like little snakes. I ain't going over there. And then we sang 43 verses of the hymn, So Send I You. Look it up. We don't have hymnals here, but look it up. I'm telling you the truth. Why somebody wrote the song, I don't know. Catchy tune, I guess. Put a guilt trip on people. I'll tell you what this kid walked away with, that ministry's a punishment. So send I you to labor unrewarded. Unrewarded? I ain't going to count me out. One line says, unfed. I mean, look at me. I'm not interested. And you keep singing it and you get down to the next line that says, and people tell me, oh, it's not in there. It was in our version, all right? Unclothed. Unrewarded, unfed, and unclothed. Does it get any worse than that? And then the pastor said, who'll be first to come down the aisle? Give your life to ministry. Not interested. Count me out. Let me tell you this, all right? And, and man, I, I so want our middle school and high school students to believe in this. I know so many of you do after just getting back from Haiti. And I know a lot of you serve in our children's ministry and in other areas. And I love that. And I want us to do more of that because I want you to buy into the idea that ministry is not a punishment. It's awesome. It's fantastic. Number three, it's not a spectator event. It's not a spectator event. Some of you, that's what you like doing. You like, you like watching the people that you pay to do the work of the ministry do it. You go, hey, you're a pastor. You only work one day a week. I mean, after all, we give so that you can get a paycheck and that's my role. That's my responsibility. Oh, no, it's not. You don't have a good understanding of what a pastor is. Let me tell you what a pastor is. One of our responsibilities. Tell me if I'm wrong, Jerry, Matt. My responsibility, our responsibility is to be equipper of the saints to do the work of the ministry. If you've been to a church where you just watch the pastors do everything and you kind of evaluate them on a, score, a scale of one to 10, you've been in the wrong kind of church. The best churches are made up of leaders who understand their responsibility, their role, which is to be an equipper of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Therefore, ministry is not a spectator event. Ministry is something that you participate in. You get out of the stands, onto the sidelines, right there at the edge, and then hopefully they call your number and you jump into the game. That's what it is. Number four, it's also not reserved just for a few people. Aren't you glad about that? 
I'm glad you don't have to have a Bible degree. You don't have to know everything about what Scripture says. You can be a developing follower of Jesus, and he's got a place for you to be used. I love that. In fact, ministry really is not made up of superstars. In fact, I think those that are in ministry that think they're superstars, they do more harm to the cause of ministry than they do actual ministry. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.26 that there's not many noble, not many wise or mighty that are called. He goes on to say that God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. That means God uses people like you and like me. It's not reserved just for a few. And then lastly, ministry is this. Ministry is a privilege. It's a privilege. Anybody else feel that way? That's involved in ministry? Don't say amen if you're not involved in ministry because you really don't feel that way, all right? Ministry is a privilege. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor is not in vain. This life is short, but eternity is very, very long. Ministry, serving, is a privilege. And there's so many of you that are here at Northwest and you've bought into that very idea that ministry is an incredible privilege. There's some of you just recently, you said, you know what? I gotta come down off the stands. I'm gonna get on the field. I'm gonna find my place. Good for you. There's others of you, you're not there just yet. You're my target audience this morning. I don't wanna beat you up because I don't wanna be the church that's singing so send I you and bring you down the aisles on a guilt trip. I'm not interested in that. That's what I grew up under. I'm just saying, some of you, you are missing an opportunity. You really are. You're missing an opportunity to get involved in something that is so much bigger than you are. For your life to count for so much more than it could if you just simply live for yourself and for your own amusements. And I'm telling you, we need you to be involved. We need you to, to get out of the stands. We need you to get onto the field. And there are a couple of areas here at Northwest that right now we could use some help in. And one is our kids' ministry. Um, uh, there's a high level of commitment that, that uh, our leadership requires in kids' ministry. And by the way, that's not just Angie. Um, we as a staff, we support her 100%. We want people to be committed to that ministry. We want them to be engaged and, and relationally with our kids as we partner with parents to help kids at a very early age understand the gospel and to know God's word. But let me just tell you, that does not happen without people being involved. And, and some of you, I know it's so easy to say, well, that's not my gift. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think anybody actually gave any, God gave anybody the spiritual gift of changing diapers, all right? I don't think there's anybody who raised their hand and go, well, at the point of salvation, I felt called, you know, <laughs> to change baby filters. That's just what I do, you know? But hey, somebody's got to do it. Trust me, <laughs> it needs to be done, right? You know, there's some things, Northwest, that we just got to do because they need to be done. That's why we got to do them, just because they need to be done. It may not be your spiritual gift and you may not do it for the next 10 years, but for right now, there's a need and you don't need to pray about it, right? Some of you remember a sermon a few years ago. What was the line? Don't pray stupid things. That was deep. 
learn that in a theology like 301 class, all right? That's what, that, you know. don't pray stupid stuff. You don't pray, God, do you want me to be involved in ministry? Or you just want this season of my life to be reflective as I focus upon your glory and your majesty. Yes, my son, that's what I want you to do. Don't serve people. Don't, 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 actually, don't actually follow the new commandment that I gave. You just sit and contemplate till I come. What? Who are you praying to? No, no. Maybe this isn't your greatest gift, but maybe you just need to say, you know what? For this time, at this moment, I'm gonna serve in this area. And you need to send Angie an email. You need to see her out in the, out in the uh, cafe area there. And you just need to say, hey, how can I serve? I have some level of ability. How can I serve? You tell me, equip me, and I'll do it. I got a text this morning, which was incredibly disappointing to me. It came from one of our staff about seven o'clock and it said, I think we're gonna need more help in the setup of the children's ministry area. Can I just say that as a pastor, as a guy, again, that's the equipper and the caster of vision, that's not the vision that I have for Northwest. I have a vision that we are a church that serves so that we got done with setup so early that the guys go have a full breakfast before church because there wasn't anything else to do because there were so many people serving. There are some of you who could serve. You could help set up. In just a few minutes, a lot of you are gonna get up and you're gonna head to your cars and you're gonna go to lunch and there's gonna be a few people that are gonna stay here and they're gonna break everything down. Now, in some cases, that's because you're involved in some area of ministry and, and you've got, I get that, all right? But for some of you, can I just say, since if you're mad, you're already mad and I'll just make you a little bit madder. Can I just say, that's selfish. That's not the way that God intended it to be. You're not any more hungry than these guys, these ladies that are gonna be breaking down in a few minutes. Now you say, well, does that mean everybody has to help and everybody's gotta do everything? No, not everybody's gonna be involved in children's ministry. Not everybody's gonna play an instrument. Not everybody's gonna set up and tear down and whatever. But you gotta find something to do. We need you. And you need this. This is how God said, we will demonstrate our love for one another by how we serve one another and how we serve in this community. And here's what I'd like for you to consider. I'd like for you to consider serving one hour and worshiping one hour. I know some of you right away go, you don't understand my season of life. Yeah, maybe I don't, all right? I've never been accused of being the most sensitive person in the world, so maybe I don't. That really wasn't funny, and I... Here's what I do know, that I grew up in a home, in fact, uh, I know Jerry and I grew up in very similar homes where as long as we can remember, we went to Sunday school and then we went to church and then our parents talked for a long time after church. So really almost every Sunday morning, we were there for at least four hours, I would say. Then we went back on Sunday night, right? Because we didn't want to lose our salvation. So we went back on Sunday night and then we went to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, all right? We did all of this, all right? We're fairly normal guys, right? I mean, you are. I mean, we're, we're fairly normal guys. We're pretty well adjusted. There was no damage that was done to us. Some of you say, oh, I couldn't keep my kids there for two hours, all right? I don't really know anybody that's told me this personally, so I don't have any names or faces attached to this. But let me just tell you, your kids will be fine if they're here for two hours. They really will. It's amazing, you can take them to some amusement park or whatever, they can be there for hours and hours and hours and they don't die. 
You can take them to a movie and they can be there for two, two and a half hours and they're fine. You can drop them off at a, at a daycare or preschool or whatever and they're fine. Your kids will live, all right? In fact, I would say this. Some of you are focusing your lives on the things that ultimately don't really matter with your kids and you're gonna end up finding in the long run that the things that really mattered were just the things that you didn't spend the time on. Your kids are gonna only be better ultimately when they develop a passion and a love for serving and loving other people. They will. That's why those kids say the things that they say. They love being here. All right, so you don't need to rush to a meal. I wanna wanna ask some of you just to consider that, just to consider serving one hour and worshiping one hour. When you came in the auditorium this morning, you received a card like this. And if you're on the stands, I want you to get down on the field, all right? That's where the action is. Some of you, you're already down there with us. Great for you. I'm not asking you to do more. I'm looking for new recruits, all right? And you say, well, I don't have much time, but I could help set up. I could help tear down. That's all we're asking for. Put you on a rotational basis. You won't even really have to do it all that often if all of us jump in. I want you to complete that, put it in the offering towers. There'll be some people when we exit the auditorium in just a moment. I've taken a lot more time than I was given. They knew that was gonna happen anyway. Paul Tripp said this, band, you guys can come out. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful houses, nice vacation and nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, he wrote this, you're part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom and progressively shaping them into his likeness. And here's the kicker. He wants you and I to be part of it. Isn't that awesome? You know, when I come to the end, And it could be today, it may be 40 years from now, but when I come to the end, I hope you'll say like me, I want to go out with no regrets. I want to have done those things that mattered. Not been so busy and so successful at the very things that matter the least. I want to store up for myself and I want the same for you. Treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break through and steal. I don't want to live for this dot. I want to live for the line. God's doing some incredible things here at Northwest and I really believe he's just begun. I really believe that. And I'm humbled and privileged and I know the rest of our staff would say this to to be alongside of you. Uh, on the journey uh, together. And I want you to come back tonight because we're going to have a lot of fun tonight, aren't we, Jerry? We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. We're going to talk about the last year and some things coming up. And we're going to eat together and play together and eat five snow cones together. And it's going to be awesome. But I want to say thank you for being part of this. Uh, Jude wrote in Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. 
Amen. Let's stand together.